0: It's February 2nd, and in the United States, as part of the popular culture, it's Groundhog Day. This strange tradition centers on the idea of the groundhog coming out of its home to predict the weather. If he sees his shadow, it's predicted that there will be six more weeks of wintry weather. But much more important than whether the groundhog, Puxutani Phil, sees his shadow, is whether you, my friend, see the shadow of Christ in these Old Testament accounts, particularly as we go through the book of Exodus that is so full of the foreshadowings of Jesus Christ and his perfect work of redemption. My name is David McAdam, pastor of New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it's a privilege to be reading through the Bible today with you. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, beginning where we left off yesterday in Exodus chapter 15, as the children of Israel are marveling in God's mighty work in delivering them from Egypt, parting the Red Sea, and providing victory over their enemies. Exodus 15, starting with verse 19. For when the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shore. They went three days in the wilderness, and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your Healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Chapter 16 and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. But in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded, Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it Moses said eat it today for today is a sabbath to the lord today you will not find it in the field six days you shall gather it but on the seventh day which is a sabbath there will be none on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather but they found none and the lord said to Moses how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name Manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Chapter 17, where we learn about the water from the rock. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Today our readings show the children of Israel facing their first tests in the wilderness. They are out of Egypt, but Egypt is not yet out of them. Egypt, in this instance, symbolizes the domain of darkness the place where God's people are held captive in the world system where they are slaves to the ways of the sin nature that is the flesh and subjects to the ruler of this age Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 in the afterglow of their miraculous deliverance from their tormentors in which the horse and riders were thrown into the sea While the children of Israel pass through the sea on dry ground, Miriam leads the women in a song of triumph in Exodus 15 verses 19 to 21. Then, within a short period of three days during which the children of Israel are tested with thirst, the music has turned to murmuring, the singing has turned to slander, the hearts of rejoicing have turned to hearts of rebellion. God delivered the children of Israel from the Egyptians and brought them out of Egypt by grace. Now he was going to illustrate that only by grace can we enter into the promised land. Between Egypt and the entrance into the promised land of Canaan would lie a stretch of wilderness in which they wandered for 40 years. The New Testament teaches us that these historic episodes are for our instruction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said that these lessons have to do with our relationship to Him in John chapter 6, verses 32 to 35. The apostles confirm this. There are three days between the Red Sea crossing and the first test at Mara, the place of the bitter waters. We learned that the immersion of the children of Israel with Moses into the Red Sea was a picture of believers being baptized into Christ, identified through a faith union with Christ in his death and resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3-4 to 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Once having passed through the Red Sea, the people of God are on resurrection ground. No more were they legal subjects of the Pharaoh of this world, nor were they in bondage any longer to the hard taskmasters of sin. No longer do we cower in fear before death that once threatened us. Our deliverance was an act of God's grace, so our survival in the wilderness must also be an act of grace. Once we have passed from death to life, we realize that there is nothing from this world that truly satisfies our thirst or hunger. We are in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 63, verse 1. We will look in vain for refreshment that will quench our thirst, unless we look to the one who says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me to drink. In the Gospel of John, Chapter 7, verse 37. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. In John, chapter 4, verse 14. The first lessons for Christians, that is, in Christ ones, from the children of Israel's wilderness wanderings, teach us to appropriate Christ as our satisfaction. For apart from Christ, all becomes unpalatable to our taste. In itself, the wilderness experience is lifeless. It is Mara which means bitter. Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a tree. The tree speaks of the person and work of Christ. In reading through the Bible, we have already discovered that Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. He is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In Psalm 1, verse 3, the tree was according to the law the place where the death penalty was to be executed, In Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22, it is a picture of the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. The Lord showed Moses a tree that was already there. This reminds us of the miracle of God opening up our eyes and showing us what is already there the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done to pay our penalty for sin on the cross that we might have life. Water speaks of life in John chapter 4 verse 14, in Revelation chapter 7 verse 17, and chapter 21 verse 6, and chapter 22 verse 1. It also speaks of God's Word in John chapter 6 verse 63, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24. And it is only through the appropriation of the cross that is reckoning on our death to self in Christ that the bitter water can be made sweet the first lesson for the one who follows Jesus on resurrection ground is to take up their cross daily in luke chapter 9 verse 23 take up what god has shown you by the revelation of his word about your being crucified with christ and you will experience the refreshment of his life in galatians chapter 2 verse 20 i have been crucified with christ and it is no longer i who live but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Learning to live the cross life, or the exchange life, where it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, is the only way we can live satisfying lives in this wilderness. At this first place of testing, the healed waters of Marah, God lets his people know that they are subject to his government, They are no longer subject to the laws of Moses, but they are not to live lawlessly. Although the law had not yet been given, their love for God should cause them to listen carefully to the Lord, to do what is right in His eyes, and not just what is right in their own, to pay attention to His commands, which will be forthcoming, and keep all His decrees. If they do this, the Lord says, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is the first mention of healing in the Bible. It is given in context of God giving His people the revelation of His good government. His law, and our careful application of it, will keep us from the judgments that fell upon the Egyptians. The Lord then reveals more about His character in introducing His name, Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. The name is misinterpreted by some who believe that because the Lord heals... Which he does we are not to turn to any other means for healing such as doctors medicine nutrition or therapies but instead resort only to prayer when sick the very context of this verse shows that the lord can and often does use other means for healing as our healer at this instruction moses was to apply a natural resource a tree and put it in the waters in 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 19 to 22, Elisha was to use salt. Hezekiah was told to prepare a poultice of figs in 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 7. Timothy was to use a little wine for medicinal purposes in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 23. The scriptures also affirm that helping someone have a cheerful heart can promote healing in Proverbs 17 verse 22. Now let's go to the second wilderness test, learning to appropriate what God supplies. After this episode at Marah, the children of Israel are led to a beautiful oasis called Elam. This is a picture of the bountiful provisions for God's people when they take up their cross, 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Notice as we read through the Bible how often we have the repetition of the numbers 12 and 70 for the people of God. Jacob's descendants, and Jesus' disciples. Not only were the children of Israel tested by a lack of accessible water in the wilderness, but also a lack of food. How do you feed so great a multitude? Over two million people, where there is no food at hand. A miracle of food production takes place. Jesus refers to this after he miraculously multiplies the fish and loaves to feed the multitudes that followed him to a secluded place. In John chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus takes the picture of the manna from heaven and applies it to himself. As those who have crossed from death to life by virtue of our being identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, we are to learn to live feeding on him every day. This is our work, to believe on him, to affirm and appropriate what he has given to us in terms of his provisions and his promises. In John 6, verse 48 Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Just as with the manna in the wilderness, We need to take the supply that Jesus offers of himself and learn to feed on him. We do this through feeding on his word, having fellowship with believers, communing with him in prayer, and participating with him in ministry. Here are some more facts about the manna. Number one, the manna was a gift from God. The Lord said, I will rain down bread from heaven in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4. Number two. It was something that the natural man could not comprehend. They named it manna, meaning, what is it? In Exodus chapter 16 verse 15 and First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Number three, it was to be collected and eaten. It was not to be merely admired or looked at, but taken internally as personal nourishment from God. We take the word to ourselves and make it our own. He is not just the Savior. He is my Savior. He is not just the shepherd. He is my shepherd. Number four, they were to gather as much as they need and not keep any for the next day or it would rot. How important it is that we have fresh bread from the Lord each morning. Number five, the Lord commands that they should demonstrate that their trust is in Him by gathering only for six days and resting on the seventh. For forty years, there would be the miracle of God's distinctive weekly clock. In Exodus 16, verse 35, no manna was to be found on the ground on the seventh day. There would be enough that could be gathered on the sixth day to last for two. Only the manna stored on the sixth day would not rot if kept overnight. Number six, it was kept in the ark of the testimony. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 33 to 34, which housed the other items that spoke of Christ. The rod that budded, a testimony of Christ as the resurrection and the life in John 11:25; The tables of the law as a picture of Jesus fulfilling righteousness in Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, verse 17. And the pot of manna, a picture of Jesus as the bread of life in John, chapter six, verse 35. Now we come to the third wilderness test Be thankful for God's mercy and the spirit of grace. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, water out of the rock. Once again, the children of Israel are thirsty. They are reluctant to admit that they are disbelieving God. They quarrel with Moses' leadership, even though it is God in the pillar of cloud that is leading them. The Apostle Paul tells us that the rock at Horeb represents Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Moses strikes the rock once and water comes out for the people to drink. This picture is of the rock being struck once by death. The once and for all sacrifice of Christ crucified will make possible the water of spiritual drink that is the gift of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost to flow out. Instead of getting what we deserve for our murmuring and quarreling, God gives us rivers of mercy due to the righteousness of another, Christ, who was crucified for us. Now let's read from the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. The Parable of the Wedding Feast. Matthew 22, verse 1. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king that gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads, and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend... How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with Herodian, saying, Teacher! We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, the first married and died, and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So too the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. The parable of the wedding banquet of the king's son gives us a strong warning about being too busy that we do not respond to the invitations to honor Christ, commune with God's people, and experience the kingdom of heaven. The excuses might have sounded reasonable if this were not a divine invitation. After all, they might say, I have work to do. One went to his field and another to his business. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 5, Jesus continues to give reference to the elders of Jerusalem who are about to consent to his death by describing through this parable how past messengers of the king, the prophets, have been treated in Israel. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. In Matthew 22, verse 6. The gospel invitation went to the Jews first, as they were the custodians of the law and the oracles of God, that is the prophecies. The religious leaders, who should have known better, for they claimed to be experts in the law, were, for the most part, rejecting the invitation to repent of their sins and come to honor the wedding of the king's son. The king extends the invitation to the street corners, where common people received the message gladly. Even some of the lowly and despised citizens, such as the prostitutes and tax collectors, were among them. An invitation to the wedding included wedding garments, Which the guest was to wear wearing the clothes was a sign of having received an official invitation it speaks of being clothed with the garments of salvation the righteousness of christ when one man shows up at the wedding without wearing the wedding garment he is bound cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth jesus then explains the gospel as being a call to all for many are called The gospel is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek in romans chapter 1 verse 16 god calls to the jew as they were the first invited having had the privileges of the scriptures but then he calls others even the non-jews the wedding of the son requires that we all wear the garments he has freely given to us at his expense his righteousness apart from trusting what jesus did for us on the cross and claiming that as our only way of appearing before Him and being in His presence, we are lost eternally. Now concerning the paying of tax to Caesar. Once again the Pharisees are examining the Lamb, trying to trap Him and find a blemish of fault in Him. This time the Pharisees team with the Herodians. They were normally at odds with each other, but united in their desire to want to do away with Jesus. The herodians wanted to prove that jesus disrespected roman authority the pharisees wanted to prove that he was not truly devoted to the kingdom of god because he deferred to rome by furnishing taxes their question was is it right to pay the imperial tax to caesar or not to say yes it is right to pay the imperial tax to caesar would condemn him in the eyes of the pharisees to say no would condemn him in the eyes of the Herodians. But Jesus turns their plot on its head by exposing their hypocrisy. Jesus asks for them to produce the coin used for paying the tax. Notice that Jesus does not produce the coin himself. The Pharisees condemn themselves as paying tribute to Caesar. Whose image and whose inscription is this? Caesar's, they reply. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. This comment puts the Herodians in their place for not being worshipers of the one true God who made us in His image and has given us His inscription. God's true image and inscription was stamped on Jesus and the Pharisees were rejecting Him. Jesus' reply also reminds us that there are jurisdictional limits to delegated authority. Caesar's image was stamped on the coin and therefore he has authority to collect taxes but as John the Baptist taught tax collectors are to collect no more than they are due in the Gospel of Luke chapter 3 verse 13 whereas Caesars image is stamped on the Roman coin the image of God is stamped on you and therefore you belong to him your allegiance is to a higher authority than that of Caesar or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, the King James Bible reads, and your spirit, which are God's. We also know that at times the will of Caesar will be in conflict and opposition to the will of God, and therefore we must obey God rather than men in Acts five verse twenty-nine. And now we're going to read from the book of Psalms, and it's my special joy to have Sparrow here reading Psalm 27. We're going to begin with verse 1.
1: The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord.
0: What a great psalm. As you pray this psalm, you will note its confident tone in verses 1 through 3 and its single focus in verses 4 through 6. Because the psalmist has set the Lord before his face as his light and his salvation, in verse 1, even in the midst of life's battles, he can say, I shall be confident. Verse 5 prefigures Christ's finished work of redemption. We are to meditate upon the meaning of the sanctuary. We are hid with Christ in God. In Colossians 3, verse 3, through the work that Jesus accomplished as our great high priest, this is the secret place of the tabernacle in which we can rest. We are lifted by this revelation. We can behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. We are in the holiest of all, in Christ Jesus, and we can behold His perfect testimony. Behold His glory and rest in His mercies. He is our rock and we share His victory over our enemies. And now we read from Proverbs chapter 6, verse twenty. Through 26. My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. This reading from the book of Proverbs underscores the importance of hiding the word in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, help us to internalize your word. May your word guide us, watch over us, And may it dwell so richly in us that your Holy Spirit causes the Word to speak to us throughout the day. May it illuminate our understanding and keep us from deception. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our grumbling. Give us grateful, receptive hearts that are ready to do your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today in our Bible Reading Tour. We welcome your comments and questions as we engage with God's Word together. Let us know how you're getting on by shooting us an email at podcast at newlife.org. Many tell us that they benefit from getting a free daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible readings with the provided illustrations, maps, and charts. You can subscribe to this free service at our website, newlife.org. Also, we want to encourage you to find others to join with you in this goal of reading the scriptures through in a year. By subscribing or following this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, you can be notified of each day's posting. You can stay with us or proceed at your own pace, catching up by listening to past episodes. So until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Shalom.